Now, with all that said, um, let's move to our text, which is Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Gang, it's the same text that we had last week. Um, folks, this story of Gideon uh, that we know parts of, and, and we, uh, we use it in Sunday school classes, it's, it's the reason I'm preaching through it again is because I think that some of its profundity is often missed. There is a lot that is established about this story in these first 10 verses. Um, this story is rooted in what you see taking place in these first 10 verses. And I hope that'll make more sense as we go. But the text reads like this. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land. As far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or oxen or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Gang, this may sound a bit odd, but I think there is a whole lot of John 3.16 in this Judges 6 passage. I, I want to spend the rest of I want to spend the next 30 minutes of your time um, explaining to you why I say that. Why I think there is so much John 3.16 in what I just read you. But before I get there, there's something that I don't want you to miss, and that is this. At no time in this text, or in this story, for, um, in its entirety, is it ever said that the devil did this. No, no, ladies and gentlemen. This is God who is forefront here. And what you have in this story is a display of a timeless principle that is woven into the warp and the woof of the universe, and it's mentioned in the New Testament. It's, it's this principle. As a man sows, so shall he reap. And that's what you see unfolding in this story. This is God enforcing 
a principle that he has articulated for us in, in another place. Now, gang, um, on more than one occasion, I, I have met with parents, a couple of parents, to beg them to do something about the path on which their children were living. I, I have used this illustration before, but it, it's like I watch them dancing closer and closer to the edge of the cliff. They're, they're playing with fire. They are completely mindless about playing with fire. And I keep saying to them, could you move back away from the edge? Of, could you stop that? Would you come over? And then, sure enough, um, when nothing is done, over the cliff. And we're left with a couple of shattered parents and shattered dreams. Brought on, not by the devil, but by our own deliberate disobedience. And gang, that's what you're seeing here in Judges 6. It is Israel that is on display here in her deliberate disobedience. There's very little love, if any, for Yahweh in Israel at this point. So they have been in this pain of theirs with the Midianites for seven years. They're hungry, they're tired, they're hiding, they're poor. And every year, these Midianite buzzards show up and steal all their food and livestock. So what will our merciful God do about this? Well, may I say, just introductorily, he does not treat them as they treated him. Um, so in answer to their prayer, which you see in verses um, 6 and 7, God sends a prophet. A man from whom they might hear what God has to say about their situation. And Israel says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we, we don't want a prophet. We want a general. You know, with an army, a big army. That's what you need to send us. And, and you know, we'll get to that Bible study stuff later. <clears throat> what we need is a military genius to help us out of this. But that is not that is not the perception of heaven. In the mind of God, the answer to their prayer begins with reproof. The reproof that comes out of the mouth of a prophet. In essence, God says to Israel, don't look at those Midianites. That's not your problem. Your problem is your deliberate disobedience. 
This prophet shows up. He's never given a name. He's got a very simple message. But, but I want you to see it. It's, it's simple in one sense, but oh, so profound in another. It starts in verse 8, and God is speaking, and he says in verse 8, I led you up from Egypt, and I brought you, and I delivered you, and I drove your enemies out. And I gave you their land. And after I had done all of that, I led you, I brought you, I delivered you, I drove them out, and I gave the land to you, I issued one directive, one command. Don't worship, don't fear the gods of the Midianites. And what did Israel do? <laughs> the very thing that they were told not to do. So, after seven years of agony, and them calling upon the Lord at this critical juncture, what does God do? What do you think he should do? Um, what ought God to do in your mind? Well, in the mind of God, the thing that they need to hear, they will hear it from a prophet. Now, what do prophets do? What, what, what's their job description? You're given it in the text. It's interesting. If you want a definition of a prophet, I'll show it to you. It's right here in verse 8. Um, the prophet comes in verse 8, and he, he said to them, Thus saith the Lord. Listen up, people. I have arrived to speak to you in the name of Yahweh. I stand between him and you, and I say, this is my role as a prophet, I say, Thus saith, saith the Lord. Gang, one of the kindest things that God ever does for any of us is to bring us under the criticism of his word that he sends to us his view on all that we're experiencing. And in his so doing, he exposes the, the reasons for our calamity and misery. You want to know why you're hungry? You want to know why you're poor? Don't look at the Midianites. Do you remember? I led you. I brought you. I drove them out. And I told you. Don't fear the gods of the Midianites. Those gods in Canaan. And what did you do? You did the very thing that I told you not to do. And through this prophet, 
God brings a message to his people. And, and yes, it often includes a bit of pain. And they've been experiencing it for seven years. But all of it is designed. To make us into eager listeners. And that's what it happened. That's what it does here in Judges 6. But what about us? Do you remember back then when we wouldn't listen? And then God in his own marvelous way sends a prophet, somebody that's bearing God's word. He doesn't send the cavalry or more money. He sends us someone who will tell us what God has said. He sends us, in essence, a message. Short and sweet, the message is, the problem is your sin. And the remedy is repentance. Folks, repentance is always the route, the path back to God. And I would have you realize this or see this. This notion of their own sin and the awareness of their sin brought to them by a prophet happens long before a deliverer is ever mentioned. Hey, uh, Mr. Prophet Man, you know, what we really need is, uh, you know, a military. Yeah, we need a deliverer. Uh-uh, not yet. Because, you see, the, the necessary first step, a step that we would rather avoid, by the way, and what is that necessary first step? It is experiencing the consequences of my own sin. I'm in a mess. And it wasn't the devil who took me here or brought me here. No, no. It was my own choices. It was my own decisions. Thinking that I had the world by the tail. And I knew what was best. And so I chose, I decided, I veered off. In fact, you know what it is? It's just another example of that timeless principle about how you sow, you will reap. Ladies and gentlemen, may I beg you, do not ignore that principle. It is woven into the warp and the woof of the universe by the God who created the universe. You know, in all, in all honesty, there ought not be a path back. But there is one. 
the path back to to some sense of sanity is based on who God is, not based on who I am or who we are. It's not as if we can stand before God and say, Hey, God, you know, you owe us a deliverer. We're owed something, all right, ladies and gentlemen. But it ain't a deliverer. You know, one of the good parts, I think, of all of this is that God may be closer to us in the affliction than He is in our prosperity. At least in that time of pain, we may acknowledge Him and turn to Him. That's what Israel does. But for the past seven years, Israel has been left stewing in her own sin and pain. And I, for one, think that is in a, a very relevant message. This is a common experience, ladies and gentlemen. It's not only one that Israel had. It's one that many of us have had. Haven't we? The devil didn't do this to us. God did that to us. So that we might get back on a path that leads us back to him. So for seven years, they lived in their pain. And now finally, they call out to God, and God sends them a prophet. Folks, um, God speaks when he should have discarded us. So what do you see in this story? I see mercy. I see long-suffering. The story ought to have ended at the end of verse 6. But it doesn't. God sends a prophet the pain I've experienced and to rouse me out of my indifference and to woo us back, he gives a prophet. But folks, just hearing what God says will not produce the end result that we long for. For that, we're going to need a deliverer. And notice, this prophet never finishes his sermon. 
you know, we're, we're looking for maybe a, maybe a punchline, maybe a therefore. But all he brings is the announcement of judgment. God's displeasure. Oh my goodness, we're toast! But no. We come to verse 11. And do you know what's mentioned in verse 11? Gideon. The deliverer. When God ought to destroy, He has deliverance on His mind. And He raises up a Gideon. Folks, um, may I say to you, you've heard this story before. But not necessarily in Judges 6. You heard it in Matthew 1 and Matthew 2 and Luke 1 and Luke 2. Do you remember? <clears throat> After 400 years of silence from God and Israel stewing around in her sin, what has he sinned? He sends a prophet. You remember him? the son of Elizabeth, Elizabeth and Zacharias. His name was John the Baptist, the one who was to go before and to prepare the way. And so all of Israel comes flooding to John and saying, what's going on here? And what does John say? He says, repent. Who told you to flee the wrath of God, you brood of vipers? Bring forth fruits of your repentance. And then right after that message is announced, who arrives on the scene next? The New Testament Gideon. His name is Jesus. The Deliverer that comes on the heels of the prophet. Folks, um, no one could invent, could, could invent a God like this one. A God who bridles his judgment while he pursues us in his grace. Dear ones, I'm no John the Baptist, but I am here to tell you, thus saith the Lord. I am here to say that you, if you have turned your back on this God, there is a path back. It begins with a recognition of your sin. And it concludes by the embrace of the Savior that He sent. Doesn't that sound like John 3.16 to you? For God so loved. 
that he gave, that he sent a savior for people who deserve anything but saving. That's what the story of Gideon is about. Not that fleece. Our Father, would you remind your people of the extent, the extremes to which you have gone to save the undeserving like us? Would you show them all over again that perhaps the pain that we have experienced is a pain that's been brought on by our own disobedience? And what we need to hear is a thus saith the Lord that concludes in someone pointing us towards Christ and Him crucified, the Deliverer, the one who came to set His people free from their sin and guilt. So Father, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met that Savior, would you draw them to yourself, open their eyes to see how it is they really got in the mess they're in and what is the only path out. Would you show them that as you've shown to so many of us in this room? And we bless you, O God, that you did not discard us, but you sent into our lives someone who told us the truth and then pointed us to Christ. Do that over and over again this day. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.